Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, and I'm the health editor at the Mail on Sunday. And with me is the fearless health reporter who stops at nothing to bring you the real story, Eve Simmons. Hello. Okay, I've got a song for you, Eve. Bring me sunshine in your smile. Bring me laughter. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to intervene at some point? Has anyone ever told you that you have a beautiful voice? No. Well, no one. There you go. Never. But are you planning to go on holiday? Well, if I was going to, I would plan for 2035 because I reckon I'd be safe by then. Well, the government is intending to begin easing travel restrictions on May the 17th. We will be allowed to go to, I think, a choice of about three different countries if we've had eight different tests and uh, satisfied a whole host of other things, which no one can afford to do anyway. But it's the beginning of opening up travel and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's made me a bit more jolly about, uh, you know, prospects of holidays, etc. Yes, it will come as welcome news to millions, I'm sure, who will be already going on to booking.com or other holiday websites that are also available (laughs) we can dream we can dream but it's something that has been debated quite heavily in the science community over the past six months the easing of travel restrictions has been flagged up as a key factor in um, why we had such a bad second wave that summer holidays last year seeded new infections and brought viruses from overseas and 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 was was one of the reasons why we we were in the situation we were in in January when you know we were having thousands dying a day in the middle of a lockdown. Yes I think I mean it's well evidenced now isn't it that that was definitely a contributing factor to our second wave and I mean when you think about it now it was quite ridiculous how late they waited before introducing any sort of travel restrictions. But we're in a very different situation now, um, you know, with the vaccination Mm. programme and hindsight as well. We know that testing is really key um, to make sure that people know to stay at home. But then despite that, you still have people who say, no, you know, we shouldn't be travelling anywhere. Our borders should remain shut until at least the end of the year. I think we should speak to scientists on both sides of the debate today. With us now is Robert Dingmore, Professor of Sociology at Nottingham Trent University and also a government advisor. Professor Dingwall, the Prime Minister has said it's too soon to say whether we'll get summer holidays abroad. Is he right to be so cautious? Well, of course, uh, it's not totally in his gift. So we might think um, it's reasonable to, to be a little bit hesitant about it. I mean, what happens in terms of holidays abroad this summer will depend very much on the decisions of other governments and on the course of the pandemic in their countries. I mean, whatever the government does decide or other governments decide, there are people in the scientific community who believe that uh, we shouldn't be travelling abroad this summer in order to avoid importing new viral variants, that it's, it's too risky. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it might have looked that way back in December when we first became aware of this particular set of variants. I mean, as time has passed, though, there's an increasing view among people who know about these things in the scientific community that the variants are concentrating on the same few genes. And this is probably setting limits to the degree of variation that's possible. 
And given that, maybe we shouldn't be quite as concerned about picking up something completely unknown and unpredictable. It's also become increasingly clear that the variants disrupt the antibodies that are produced by the vaccine, which is like the first line of defense. But they don't seem to be disrupting the T cells, which are, if you like, the second line of defense. So the um, variants may make it slightly more likely that you're going to develop a, an infection but not really for that to progress into something that's severe and requires hospitalization. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty about these things, but I don't think the picture is nearly as gloomy as it might have looked in, let's say, just before Christmas when the issue of variants first came onto the agenda. And I, I think we have to recognize that some sections of the uh, scientific advisory network have always leaned on the sign of pessimism. So perhaps, you know, we could lift restrictions right now or book a holiday right now if we were allowed. Well, booking is one thing, travelling is another. I think it's prudent to say that we would want to ensure that the phase one of the vaccination programme was completed before we got a lot of uh, international travel going on so that the most vulnerable travellers had a high degree of protection from the vaccine. I mean, once that phase one is completed, which will be around the end of April, beginning of May, then, you know, we've taken out something like 98% of the risk of death, something like 80, 85% of the risk of being ill enough that you need to go to hospital. And in that situation, what are you left with? Well, you're left with uh, the over 50s who are well protected and the, the under 50s who for the most part, only ever get a mild illness that um, shouldn't really provoke much concern. Maybe a little bit in the, in the 40 to 49-year-olds, but we're not talking about a huge degree of risk incurred by anybody. There are some experts who take an opposite view, some who even say we shouldn't travel until next year. What do you say to that? Well, it would be a poor world in which everybody agree about everything. But I, I think that there are people who really want to try to eliminate risks beyond a degree that's realistic. I mean, the chief medical officer has suggested that we should take flu as a benchmark. I, I don't know when we last closed borders to stop people traveling because there was a, a high rate of flu one winter. We were having a bad flu season. Um, and I, I think if we think about it proportionately, then I think there are very strong arguments for liberalizing travel really quite early this summer. And, and certainly the idea that it should be postponed until 2022, I, I think, is beyond the bounds of reason. I have to ask you this. I've got a holiday booked for December. Eve, uh, my colleague, has her wedding booked for when is it, Eve? May. 2022. If, if you had to stick a pin in it, do you think we're going to be going on holiday or not? Well, I would be reasonably confident that European holidays would be opening up in the course of this summer. Uh, I think there are too many economic interests at stake you know, for that not to happen. Intercontinental, I'd be a little more cautious about. I'm negotiating about a conference in Australia in July 2022. That, I think, is a reasonable bet. I don't know, where, where were you hoping to go in December? Somewhere warm? I've got a flight booked to Japan. <laughs> I don't know if that's stupid or not. I would have 
No, I would have thought... It was I'm very cheap, I tell you. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I would think that's within the bounds of possibility, certainly. And uh, any thoughts on, on weddings next spring? Sorry, I thought we were talking about um, this coming May. I mean, for, for May in 12 months' time, I, I would be surprised if there's very much in the way of domestic restrictions left by that point. These are the answers we wanted. This is what we wanted to hear, and we're going to stick to that now. Thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us, Professor Dingwall. So, there you go. You will go to the ball. I will walk down the aisle. (laughs) Hear that, family and friends? I thought you were going abroad, though. That's why I was asking. That was the plan number two, but plan number three has reverted back to plan number A. Okay. I'm, I'm still confused. Letter A. Yeah, so Excellent. am I, obviously. Got my letters and my numbers confused. Well, look, as much as I want to believe that Professor Dingwall is correct, he said what I want to hear, but I am aware of getting swept up in optimism last year, and we all know how that turned out. We were all guilty of it, weren't we, on the desk? We were very much, you know, thought, COVID's disappeared, everything's fine, we're all going to go on our holidays. I mean, to be fair, I did actually go on a holiday, so I was probably part of the problem. <laughs> well, you, you didn't have COVID. I didn't um, have COVID. And no. it was it was a place where you were permitted to go without quarantining. Italy. Exactly, yes. I think next we should speak to someone who has perhaps a more circumspect view. You've got someone on the line. Yes, the perfect person. Joining us now is Professor Gabriel Scally, who is a member of Independent SAGE and a public health expert at the University of Bristol. Professor Scally, should people go on holiday this summer? Well, I think it is a big choice to be made. And what is really important is that we keep ourselves, all of us, safe and keep the virus numbers very low. And I think, unfortunately, that may mean that it won't be safe for people to go abroad because even though you might be vaccinated, there are quite a number of variants, some of which can escape the vaccine. And it really is probably inadvisable to go, firstly for yourself, but secondly also, we don't want people bringing new variants back into the UK and causing real problems Some of the variants can be more infectious, more lethal, and some can really dodge the vaccine. Some experts think that all the focus on variants is unnecessary. What do you think about that? Well, the variants wouldn't be important if we didn't have so many cases of the virus. And it's not so much in the UK that I think the problem will lie because vaccination is going very well in the UK. And we should get numbers really well down, particularly when we get a, a vaccine that's suitable for children and young people. Uh, The worry is that other countries do not have it under control and particularly some of the lesser developed countries do not have very good access to the vaccine. And the more the virus multiplies, the more opportunities there are for it to mutate and the more opportunities there are for the virus to come up with new formulations of its genetic code that can dodge the vaccine. So, We need to get the whole world really vaccinating and getting the virus under control. And in the meantime, the UK needs to keep these variants out. But that could take an awful long time, vaccinating the entire world. What if we had a situation where, say, only vaccinated people could travel and there was a list of a select number of countries where a certain proportion of their populations had also been vaccinated? I think it might be possible to draw up lists where you might have a corridor between the countries 
one of the difficulties is if people are going on holiday, they tend to want to go on holiday to places where lots of other people want to go on holiday. So you get a mixing of people from countries across the world. And we know that happened last summer. And we know that some of the variants were spread quite widely, including into Britain and Ireland. The Spanish variant was brought back at the end of the summer. And we only have to look at what has happened with the variant that was identified in Kent first, and now it has spread really widely, causing huge problems because it is a much more serious uh, version of the virus. So we need, do need to keep the variants at bay. And one of the best ways of doing that is not traveling, but also for people coming into the country, having managed isolation instead of the what is an essentially voluntary isolation that we've had um, most of the time until now. So do you think it's too early to implement a US-style easing of travel restrictions? Yeah, we, we need to be careful about countries that have a lot of virus activity going on because that's where new variants can pop up and where they can be easily transmitted to, to us. Uh, so I, I think it will be a very cautious summer and most people will holiday at home. Uh, if only because, as we know, with some of these problems that are arising with new variants, they can happen extremely quickly and people can potentially be stuck in a place where the virus is spreading rapidly and maybe quarantine themselves if they were trying to come back into the UK. So it's it's a really difficult situation and the best thing for us all would be to be really quite risk averse. Holiday, yes, but holiday in Britain and Ireland. Professor Scally, Chris Whitty has said that the virus is with us for the foreseeable future. So with that in mind, is there really any point in restricting travel? Well, with lots of infectious diseases that are with us, the question is, are they controlled or not? Things like measles or polio or uh, diphtheria um, or whooping cough, you know, and they're all controlled by vaccination. So it is a matter of getting it under control. It's also a matter of when there are outbreaks and there will be flare-ups around the country, that we've got the local resources in the public health teams to be able to test and trace and suppress the virus in whatever localities it pops up. And that's what we do for measles. For example, we get outbreaks of measles uh, in the UK. In fact, we lost our elimination status of measles a couple of years ago. And uh, when measles outbreaks happen, we try and repress them and keep it under control. So it's a constant task in respect of most infectious diseases to keep them under control. And that's what we've got to do with COVID. We've got to get it under control and keep it there. So you think people should wait till next summer for their big holidays? I think that would be the wisest thing to do for us all. By that time, uh, certainly all of Europe should be very well vaccinated and hopefully the world will be uh, a much safer and a much more pleasant place. You may well have disappointed many listeners there, but thank you very much, Professor Scally from the University of Bristol. Well, that was a bit depressing. Yes, poured cold water over all of our holiday plans for the foreseeable future. I've heard that opinion echoed by a few different scientists. You know, Professor Dingwall's comment was that the travel industry would have to come up with ways of getting things moving again just for financial reasons. You've got an industry insider next on the line who's going to be able to tell us a bit about some of those innovative techniques that they're coming up with. Exactly. Alex Macheres is an aviation analyst. Alex, thanks so much for being with us today. When things open back up, what will travel look like? 
Well, the reality is that international travel will need to resume sometime soon, not least because of the industry, but also because the fact that there are families that have been separated for well over a year now and travel for a lot of reasons is inevitable. So the question is, as you asked, how can that be done safely? And that is when you apply a consistent set of measures that enable air travel and COVID-19 to somewhat coexist. Um, there are many countries that have demonstrated this. And, you know, to keep it simple, ultimately, it's, it's passengers having to jump through those hoops of testing and quarantining that we know shouldn't simply be pushed aside because a holiday is expected. And, you know, typically before the pandemic, we wouldn't need to quarantine after a holiday. Well, unfortunately, we are still very much in a pandemic and therefore concepts like quarantine will continue, at least for the foreseeable, along with testing and other other health protection measures. And what about apps such as COVID green cards or things like that that enable you to show a certificate that you've had a vaccination? Well, digital health passes, at least of the belief of the aviation industry, are inevitable. In fact, it's not controversial for the aviation sector at all. And it's funny to watch this debate kind of play out uh, into the wider use of of these vaccine passports. For air travel, it's something we recognise as being inevitable. Ultimately, in order to meet the requirements, the new health requirements of countries abroad, we need a secure way to be able to demonstrate to those countries, yep, I'm tested or yep, I'm vaccinated and so on. And so very early on in the pandemic, and we're talking in April, May 2020, a year ago, I was having conversations with airline executives who were saying that that path out of this, when there is either a vaccine, and of course now we have many working vaccines, or more reliable testing, and of course we know that PCR tests and lateral flow are in use everywhere, their belief was the only thing that could bring all of this together to say to foreign countries, this is how this person is able to gain entry into your territory, is by having a digital health pass, these vaccine passports. And it's something that the industry believes is inevitable, as I say, and therefore all of these airlines are now actively rolling these applications out. So do you think that's going to be the case going forward forever? So we're always going to have to have our vaccine passport or certification or whatever the government choose to call it with us and measures such as that? Look, I think it's for the foreseeable. Obviously, I couldn't comment on forever because had you have asked me a question about air travel in 2019, no one saw what was round the corner come March 2020. So, But at least for the foreseeable, and so long as COVID-19 continues to be a part of life for the Earth and the Earth's inhabitants, then, of course, you know, the, the fundamentals of travel, as I say, is just about proving, you know, the virus moves when people move. And so as a result, countries want to know that that person has done all they can to hopefully not have the virus. And, and it comes down to those two things, the vaccination or the test. So what should the government do right now with regards to international travel and holidays? Well, for international travel, as I said, the the best thing to do would to lay out very clearly a consistent set of measures that you don't have these huge loopholes that exist today. You know, there's been a lot of anger across uh, public reaction to the media reports that are very accurate in stating that, for example, there are still 8,000 tourists walking into the UK every single day. Um, reasons being justified. One gentleman from Peru said he came to the UK because he wanted to see Big Ben. Not much uh, regard for the pandemic that's ongoing in this nation or, or the, the lockdowns that have been you know, quite extensive for quite a while. 
But the reality is what he did wasn't wrong because although morally, perhaps he shouldn't have been traveling across continents to get here for a holiday in a global pandemic, this country has open borders. It's still open today. The UK never decided to follow other nations by only allowing British citizens and residents to return here. Anyone can come in. It's just at the moment they have that list, the home quarantine or the hotel. Now, they have the hotel quarantine list for some passengers because they know that the home quarantine list, the majority of those people are simply not doing it. So what I would have liked to have seen from the government is show how they would better enforce home quarantine because it can be done. This is not a challenge that is unique to the UK. They only need to pick up the phone to East Asia. And, and if, if they were able to enforce home quarantine better and ensure there were consistent layered approach measures with various testing points that don't place so much trust in the individual and actually there is follow-up, there are checks, there are testing points that have to be conducted and so on, then I think we would be in a better place to be able to say, this is how international travel can resume and here are the hoops you have to jump through. Instead, right now, it's all a bit patchy, it's very hazy, and the outlook is, again, very much unknown, which leaves the industry in a lot of uncertainty. It stresses out passengers who maybe are quite willing to go away and jump through those hoops of tests and home quarantine. So it's, it's a bit hazy right now, and I would really like to see some clarity going forward. Mm. Wouldn't we all? Alex Macheras, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. I am baffled. How can somebody get in to go and see Big Ben? I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, I think, as Alex said, you know, we've never stopped people from coming here. And there was this quite strange and woolly list of a certain number of countries they'd seemed to pick because they had quite high infection rates where they were making people stay in these quarantine hotels. And variants, wasn't it? Variants as well. Places where the variants were right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it completely ignored the fact that someone could come from South Africa, go to Spain and then come here and not have to quarantine at all. And as Alex says, we can't really trust people to quarantine themselves at home or in sort of private residences. But then given all of that, we've uh, still got falling infection rates. It all seems to be going in the right direction. So I don't know, the whole time I've been saying just give it a bit more time. I wouldn't say that I've been won over in changing my mind. Oh, really? Yeah, I still think that why not wait for for everyone to have been vaccinated? If they're saying July, what's two months? I can't help but agree. I I do think that that's probably the best case scenario. And, and, you know, we're going to get so much back from that just for those two months. Next year, I think, will be so much easier, I hope, as well. Exactly. You know, I'll be allowed to go on holiday. (laughs) You'll be getting married and then going on a honeymoon, hopefully. Yes, fingers crossed. There may be another fly in the ointment, though. Something's going on in Chile. 
Yes, it's super interesting. So Chile are doing very well in terms of vaccinations. They've now immunised about half of their population and they're in competition with Israel at the rate at which they're vaccinating. So Israel have vaccinated 60%, I think. Yeah, so they're lagging just slightly behind that. But currently, Chile are in the middle of a second wave. Um, They've got about 7,000 cases every day and they've just gone down into another lockdown. What What's the explanation for that then? So experts are saying that crucial to this was that they opened their borders far too early um, and allowed Chileans to go on holiday internationally when cases were still relatively high. And that's that 50% number. You know, we've got 50% vaccinated. We'll probably have about 60% by the time mid-May comes. So yeah. we could see that surge again. It's, it's worth saying that I think that what, what a lot of the experts are saying is that what's really key to our strategy is that five-week gap between each of the stages. And it looks like Chile didn't really have that. And that despite all of the warning signs and the experts raising the alarm, the authorities just didn't take any notice and still went ahead and eased restrictions. And I do think the government have learned from their mistakes and I like to think won't do that again. Um, so mm. I, I don't think that we're going to be vulnerable to being in the same situation. So as long as they keep ignoring the very loud voices from certain areas saying throw caution to the wind um, what are you waiting for and all of that stuff yeah our planes are safe we must start flying immediately then we'll probably be okay I think that it's looking that way I obviously don't want to be too confident in saying that but I would kind of be cautious about direct comparisons between us and Chile because I think we're in a different situation well fingers crossed Well, that's all we've got time for. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to all our podcasts free and in full. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then.